Hey, what's up, guys? Sorry. Uh, it got me. It got me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was telling Liza, I should, probably should have said something yesterday because I, I know you sleep like super late. So Yeah, that's just... the thing. I was... I mean, this all started because like my clock is an analog clock. It's not a. Yeah. It's not like a hooked up to the internet. It's not a smart clock, and I and I was waking up because I set several alarms in the morning. It's like I'm really refreshed this morning, even though <laughs> I slept pretty late last night. Ah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm my body's just winning, I guess. And then and then I I saw I saw a call from you, and I'm like, huh, I wonder what Philip's up to. Maybe he has something that. Oh wait, oh I know what this is. <laughs> Hey, welcome listeners. Another episode of Unverified Accounts here for you. I'm your host, Chris, and Liza and Philip. as always. What's up, gang? Hello, hello. Hi. In this week's episode, we've got kind of a variety episode. A lot of things happened, and so we just want to run through them, and we'll, we'll just, you know, take our time, and we'll see where this where this goes. But um, any news you guys want to fill the listeners in before we get started? Uh, it's Daylight Savings, in case you... Did not did not know. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> we all started this recording late as a result, so hopefully everybody mm-hmm. gets enough sleep. I switched up my normal Korean breakfast, and um, I did Japanese curry this morning. Oh yeah, it's mm-hmm. is it, it was it too spicy, did, or it was just getting no? Boring? It's not that spicy, um, uh, but you know, I just wanted to mix it up. I was getting a little getting a little burnt out on eating the same breakfast all the time mm-hmm. i like a savory breakfast i don't know do you, i don't know what, what do you guys like what's your preference I'm not really a breakfast guy it's but... very automatic for me it's like make a piece of toast have some yogurt uh-huh. i don't really think about it because i'm a mess in the morning yeah i think i'm with you i think i prefer savory like eggs and potatoes like when i do eat but you know cereal and hey if there's like yogurt and granola I, that's fine too mm-hmm. okay all right so First thing uh, we want to talk about, do we want to talk about this this Teen Vogue thing? I I guess. I mean, it's it's pretty relevant to us. I just don't like have a lot of strong feelings about it. I know you, you guys don't necessarily either. Yeah. Because um, it comes from Teen Vogue, I'm not surprised because of like who their audience is. And like, I, I feel like for the past few years, we've been, ar- everyone has just been arguing like, is Teen Vogue like, what exactly is their agenda? And it's becoming more and more um, out, you know, now that now that we're in like a Biden presidency, that they are not as progressive as they make themselves out to be. I always thought that they were ju- it was just a marketing ploy. Yeah, definitely. And what, what do you mean? You mean the, the, the editor swap with the black woman who said racist things? Or do you No, mean... no, no. I just mean their, their whole new image as a super woke, super Oh, lefty. yeah, 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 yeah. Towards the end like, of the Trump presidency, yeah. I think people have this whole fantasy that teenage girls are going to save the world like uh, with their, you know, wokeness and their social consciousness. Mm-hmm. And it's like, come on now. <laughs> uh, and I think they saw a niche out there they saw where the wind was blowing in terms of at least what is popular to say when you're younger i mean liza you share some article you shared some articles with us last night just about how even at these like super elite schools yeah uh, everyone's mm-hmm. all about you've got like fucking multi-millionaire parents and, mm-hmm. and their kids having to seem 
super progressive. It's all laundering their own guilt at their own disgusting privilege. And the worst instance I think I saw was the one at Smith College. O- overall, these these attitudes are fine. You know, in, it's in the right direction. I'm sympathetic to them, but but the way are that- they though? Are they still? I mean, I think like in the very beginning, it's like the people that they were trying to the, the people that were supposed to be protected. I don't think that they are. I think it. I think it just it just came back around and it just protects the same people that like even the old ideology, all the old ways of thinking, like before political correctness became a thing. They're still the ones who are protected. I'm just talking about the just general sense of let's let's care more about the downtrodden, the more marginalized. I can sympathize with that, but the way they're going about it is clearly they're, I don't just, think that they do. Yeah. I don't think that like that whole Smith College thing is my my mind just goes back to that as like who who did that help? Yeah, because you have to think of because the way I think about it is okay if this is really helping you know the the you know the downtrodden the marginalized classes how come it's always the richest people who are spearheading? Yeah, this? why like, is it never coming from like community colleges or like public state colleges yeah. or regional public colleges? Yeah, because you know what, if those people were in charge, you know what they would say? They would probably be like, yeah, yeah, that's nice, but uh, give us some money. <laughs> <laughs> fund our schools better yeah and uh and then the the people at fucking harvard westlake would be like oh you know man you know, if, what if they were like give us half your endowment then you know what i could get back behind that you know split every well uh, that's what, why don't we start endowment. that like that's let's start like planting the seeds you know mm-hmm. on social but, media but if these groups are like purporting to be more woke and you know caring more about the downtrodden and so on shouldn't they then be held more like be scrutinized more and held more responsible for a fuck up like in the case of this teen vogue thing right like claiming that the magazine is more woke and then like pulling in someone in who's been called out for some kind of bad maybe kind of you know in some eyes like cancelable racist tweet shouldn't they do the right thing in their you know in their words and replace this person yeah that's what trips me up it's a little bit like by their own standards yeah, this right. person should be canceled. Uh, so, okay, uh, let's just give people a bit of a background in case people don't know. So Teen Vogue hires this new editor-in-chief, very young woman. I think she's only in her late 20s. Her name's Alexi McCammond. She's uh, she's a black woman. I mean, technically, I think biracial. But uh, let, let's just say she's black. And apparently in 2011, that goddamn year, you know, 2011, that curse, like, and 2012, it's at, it's at like, a Bermuda Triangle of a year where, like, every... <laughs> kind of bad tweet apparently is found <laughs> uh okay so I'll, I'll just read a lot all the tweets she did it's not a ton but okay number one now googling how to not wake up with swollen asian eyes eh, okay <laughs> kind of sucks whatever second outdone by asian hashtag what's new um well that's i don't think that's actually bad i mean that, if that's, anything, like that's, a, that's like a girl's era sentiment right <laughs> yeah also um you know the whole joke about like you know, level Asian. Like you mm-hmm. see it all the time, right? Even uh, Asians make that joke. Yeah. So that just seems to be in that vein. Third. N- Wait. This is the same tweet. Never mind. Okay. Another tweet. Give me two out of ten on my chem problem. Cross out all of my work and don't explain what I did wrong. Thanks a lot, stupid Asian TA. You're great. I thought that was the worst one. Is be like, why do you have to point out the race of the TA? And there, there's already this kind of bias against uh, Asian TAs for being either hard to understand or you know just maybe just too different and and you know people get pissed off at them if they get bad grades or yeah. they don't like the class and, and that's one of the easy ones to to like analyze in that you know you you do the usual thing where you say like if you were re- to t- tweet that and say like jewish ta or black ta 
or you know gay ta or whatever mm-hmm. it sounds mm-hmm. worse right so why did you have to say like exactly. why is it okay to say asian so fine right yeah and then last uh, she's replying to someone she was like an old asian woman lol 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 which um, i don't know the context <laughs> what is that in response to well that's the or- thing it's it's uh it's a response to someone named at 22 austin ruse 90 so we have we have no context for that at least uh in the screenshot i'm seeing as i was saying in in the vacuum these just seem like really dumb in in that they're they're kind of harmless and whatever but as it imagine if this were say an asian person saying this and and replace that with black or even if you say that's a different thing then instead of black say anything else muslim mexican gay uh, you know any other kind of more protected group it would so be much bigger like, news then yeah so so the way i think of it is i want to just be at, at a certain point i think this has to end like this is like 10 years ago going through someone's twitter feed from 10 years ago finding out like four things that he or she said that are kind of eh, and then they them losing their like dream job over it i don't think this helps anyone i think this hurts people both in all political spectrums because it, it doesn't it, allow them to grow doesn't allow them grow it's just gonna go come tit for tat and um whatever maybe this is revenge for like gina Carano. although i think most of the criticism is coming from like liberals and progressives um so at a certain point, it has to end. But my suspicion is, why is it ending when it's against the nation? It just so happens when it's made against uh, an Asian yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> why is it ending now? And my suspicion is, this will be the only time someone gets a pass. Next time it happens, especially if it's against another minority or another uh-huh. protected group, pe- people are going to go for their heads. But this time, everyone's going to suddenly feel so benevolent. Is it just because it's against an Asian? So that's my quandary. Because yeah. my gut feeling is I, I really don't care about this. It's like, whatever. It's, it's some stupid shit. People say worse things in real life in front of you. You know, so yeah. why does this matter? Just because it's in tweet form. Is it over? Like, are they, it's been a week, right? Like Maybe less than yeah, a week. But... She's issued like a non-apology apology, then a more sincere apology. I just looked up on Google. She says she sincerely wants to learn from this experience. Um... Yeah, so yeah. I don't think she's going to quit. Although some, uh, I think some makeup uh, advertisers pulled out. But yeah, I don't think it's really gonna. I think it's gone as far as it'll go. But what do I know? Moving, moving on, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> moving on, next item. Okay, so along with all these attacks on Asians, I see some stuff on Twitter where it talks about that tries to kind of minimize these attacks, saying, in the end, East Asia is still part of the global north. I mean, that just really bugs me because... I mean, first of all, what what do you guys think when you see a tweet like that before I get into my thoughts? I would have... Like, actually, that's the first one of the first times I've heard of East Asia as being described as either part of the global north or global south. This is interesting to say that they've decided, you know, that, like, China, South Korea, uh, and... um, Japan, I suppose, are equivalent powers and equivalent in the way they, you know, handle uh, imperialism and so on as like, say, America or the UK, which on some accounts, I see what they're saying on other accounts, like, really, like China only dug itself out of like a bad economic situation in the last few decades, right? So what's also interesting is that aren't these aren't these proclamations coming from Asians as well? Chris, like, is that where you're seeing? Yeah, uh, I think it's yeah, I think it is. Yeah, you know, the, the way I when I see it, it's always made by Asian Americans. Right. right. They do this. To, they've been doing this to Japan for years, though. Like always including them in, like, you know, whenever they talk about um, the big rich countries, they always talk about like, 
you know, England, France, Germany, the United States, um, Japan. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, it's you're, always you're, you're included. Right. What's, what's different here is that they're now definitely including South Korea and they're also including China, which is interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, Japan, you know, is part of the G7 or G20, G8, one of those like super exclusive groups. So Japan has always been, and, you know, ever since like the Russo-Japanese war has always been kind of the exceptional Asian country that's allowed into, um, you know, the class of European country it doesn't mean that they view Japanese as racial equals necessarily, but just like they got to be forced to recognize, hey, this country is pretty rich and they can beat us in a war. We got to give them some respect. But um, in terms of, yeah, Philip, you're right. It's like, wait a minute, China, like, like China's still quite poor if you look at GDP per capita. Here's the thing that that bothers me about it, because when you when you if you classify East Asia as the global north, uh, obviously people don't mean that literally because most countries are in the northern hemisphere i think uh in terms of big countries the only countries in the southern hemisphere i think are no they mean power yeah, fine right? like australia and brazil i think that those are the only kind of big in south africa maybe like big countries that that would um be beneath the equator but mm-hmm. yeah so they're, they're basically talking about wealthy developed countries versus the non but if you dig it a bit deeper they don't just mean wealthy because first, because if you do it just by pure GDP, then why not India? I don't think they would count India as the global north, even though in terms no. of pure GDP, they're up there. So you might think, well, it must be GDP per capita. But if you do that, then you got countries like Qatar and Brunei up there. Those are some very wealthy countries per capita, but they don't, they're not up in their imagination either. So what is it that has connects like kind of like Europe and, you know, Europe, the extension of Europe, namely like North America and East Asia. And I think it comes down to like a race science. They do think that the, the whites and the, and the yellows are the two most civilizationally capable people in the world. And I'm talking progressives are thinking this. We already know the, the right wingers have this kind of race science view of the world's population. Japan in particular, yeah. Yeah. They practically celebrate it though. Yeah. And liberals and progressives pretend they don't believe in it, but a lot of their actions suggest otherwise. And I think mm-hmm. those who would conceive of East Asia as the global North by, by the popular imagination, I'm sure there's like some IMF definition that I'm not 100% sure on, but the, the way they think of East Asia as global North, but exclude countries like India or countries in, rich countries in the Middle East, I think betrays mm-hmm. their kind of race science uh, conception. Yeah, I definitely see that. They don't say Dubai. You know, they don't say like the United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia. Yeah, because I mean, deep in their hearts, they still think of them as like desert savages, like who just happen to luck into oil. It's like, of course, that's how you you built your your, your big cities. But we kind of know you're not you're not really up there. You're, you're not top class like the whites and yellows are. And and even in the East Asian thing, it's like a lot of Southeast Asians also get lumped there, too. And you see this with school admissions where they pretend it's kind of about class, but in the end, it's about race. And I think in their heart of hearts, they really do believe, even if you're a poor, I don't know, Laotian, because of your Asian genetics, you have a pretty high ceiling for math, science, uh, history, and whatever, like school in general. Therefore, you don't really need any help. Whereas even if you're a pretty well-off Black or Latino person, uh, you got your genetics working against you. And I think this is what liberals and progressives actually believe, even though they won't say it out loud, which is why, as I said, they re- we saw it in that New York Times article. They're like, yeah, those uh, those lower income 
Asians are too too many of them. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, take us taking a step back. This whole like East Asia's global north thing. Like, what are they? Are they talking about violence against East, like against Asians? And they're saying it's okay because East Asians are considered part of the global north, and so we, they need to be protected less than say like Black and Brown folks. Like, what are they actually saying? I don't know when they make this. Statement? They are kind of saying <laughs> that, aren't they? Implicitly saying I feel, that. I feel like that's exactly what yeah. they're saying. Because I don't give a, if that's what they're saying. I don't give a fuck if they think it's the north or the south or if there's a lot more power in China now than there was before or whatever. Right. It's just the fact that they're saying, oh, it's okay you're, you're getting beat and stabbed and sliced up, right? It's okay that your grandparents are being, you know, attacked and killed on the streets um, because your countries that you were from, that you're no longer part of, but you're from, are rich. Like, that's a fucked up thing to say on its own. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's a weird, it's this weird thing that people, that progressives have to do in which victimhood and trauma is so fetishized that when something bad happens to you, it's almost like a good thing and you cannot boast too much about it in a way. Therefore, I mean, they, they say all this to uh, make sure that their allies know we don't think of this as bad as a violence against other minorities. And they say, at some level, right, right, East right, Asians right, right. are still part of the global north and are white adjacent. Therefore, it's not the same as say Black Lives Matter. I'm like, who cares if it's who cares if it's like so-called better than Black Lives Matter? People are still dying. That's all that really matters. Yeah. Nobody cares about your little, uh, you know, social lunch table games in your progressive circles about who has it worse, whose whose turn it is, whose story it is to tell. Fuck that. We're just trying to help people not get killed or or hurt. Well, yeah. a lot of Black people say that too. Oh, uh, about what? Like, you know, like like on Twitter, for example, you'll see so many people go viral, and they'll say like, um, uh, I don't know, they're very much just like you know where's the solidarity between asian and blacks and they're just like well no you don't have it for us or like don't compare it to black lives matter like honey no or just one of those like very sassy Mm -hmm. tweets you know it's definitely true i mean why do you think asian americans are saying this because they feel pressure from from all sides right right and i I, there's so much blame is like they're like you know they're trying to they're trying for more like they're trying to appease their white liberal friends and i'm like i don't think that they're trying to appease their white liberal friends Mm -hmm. i think that they are trying to appease their black liberal friends yeah i feel like if they were trying to appease their white liberal friends they would talk more about the the white on asian violence that is a big part of the violence we're seeing right Mm-hmm. That somehow but no, gets instead, ignored. they're so they're so completely obsessed with the stop being, you know, Asians stop being anti-black when talking about um, anti-Asian violence challenge. But that's like, a fu- I see that, a lot of that. That's a fucked up thing, because by saying that, you're saying, oh, it's always blacks attacking Asians and you guys are talking about it too much. Mm-hmm. That that betrays their own belief that it is black folks who are like singularly attacking Asians, which is not true at all. Right? Yeah, it also creates this bad feedback loop because often the if it seems like some Asians are disproportionately concerned about uh, uh, violence from black people, often they bring it up precisely because they think they're not allowed to talk about it. That whenever... That's that's what I was yeah, getting at, too. I was like, I think that they're bringing it up because that's the one thing that they're not allowed to talk about. Everything else you're allowed to talk about. White white on Asian violence. Oh, talk about it all yeah, day definitely. long. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, remember when... I think her name is Ying Ying. Uh, the... Chinese international student at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, I believe, she was killed by this like I think creepy white stalker. Uh, at least among Asians, I mean, the media kind of downplayed the guy's race, uh, but at least among Asians, it was perfectly acceptable to talk about uh, this is 
you know, just another possibly sexually motivated crime by a white guy against an Asian woman. That was perfectly fine. And it was, I think it was like pretty mainstream. I think there was even a documentary made about it. Um, but it's when it's a black person or off or another minority, it's, it becomes much more taboo. And I think that's what a lot of Asians are concerned about. Yeah, there are just some race, Asians are just hardcore racist and just are upset more when maybe a, another minority attacks them. But I think the majority of Asians who are talking about the racial aspect of this is why is it so taboo? Like we talk about it all the time, whether it's white or hell, even even Asian, um, uh, Asian on Asian violence, they get upset about that. But we're we don't feel any pushback when we talk about that. Why is, is there such pushback often from other Asian Americans when it's like another minority? And then those uh those same people who push back be like, oh yeah, let's see, look at these races. They're so obsessed with the race. Be like, no, we talk about it all the time. You're the only you're the ones who only focus on it when it happens. Uh, by a minority, which seems to imply that you actually think this is uh, mainly perpetrated by that minority group, which undercuts your own argument that this is just like isolated or it's really white supremacy at fault or something like that. (laughs) The most useless argument now. So uh, all in all, East Asia's Global North, very suspicious mindset uh, because, you know, there's like what standards are you using to to justify that? Okay, uh, next item on the list, Kim's Convenience coming to an end. A bit of a lighter topic. <laughs> yeah, did you guys, I know you watched the show a bit, Chris. I don't know, Liza, have you ever seen the show, Kim's Convenience? Uh, I remember that my husband and my kids were binging it. I think they finished the entire thing. Oh, really? Wow, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those like sleeper Canadian hits that became a, a cult classic in the, the US when it like got into Netflix and stuff. Um, you know, there's a big announcement this week from the... CBC that they're not doing this anymore after the fifth season. Um, and a lot of people are pretty upset about this, uh, even the the actors and stuff, because like one of the big story arcs that was interesting was like the reconciliation between Simi Liu's character, like the son, uh, and uh, the, the Appa character, the dad, uh, which was a, a great spin look off, into... Spin-off, spin-off. Yeah, could be a spin-off. Um, but it was a great look into, you know, like, like Asian male father-son relationships that was done in a way that wasn't hasn't been depicted in tv or movies before um so that's a bit of a shame um but the the, the thing that caught me about this was that like this show was like like the show is is a good show but it's also like a little bit milk toast you know like they don't they go into some issues and stuff but like it's not super duper out there it never really had any big controversies unlike a lot of other shows that deal with race right so i was kind of wondering like if that's a, a good thing right like this the show had a good cult following i think maybe because it wasn't so like abrasive to some groups just entertainment. you know it's just entertainment yeah. like they talk about racism once in a while in it and so on they talk about um you know family issues and so on but people treat it as like a family comedy and not as like mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. asian show right um so yeah i don't know if we we need to have media that's that tries to you know or does thing that's that that are edgy enough to irk people in order for it to be considered good because this is good and it's not that edgy mm-hmm yeah, I wa- I watched a couple of seasons of it. I was I was a big fan. I actually liked it. Uh, even though I was, I liked it much more than Fresh Off the Boat. I don't know exactly why because I think they're kind of in that same genre of family sitcom, very nice, yeah. no sharp edges. But I did think Kim's Convenience felt more real. And one of the things I did like was the whole estrangement between the, the father and the son, which actually is the basis of one of my favorite sitcoms, Frasier. Frasier is all about you know, Martin and, and Frazier reconciling after a lifetime of 
of being butting heads. But it, it was it was a very pleasant thing. I, I do think it's ending at, at a good time simply because I don't think shows really have much to go on after five seasons. But I think in general, um, e- even a great show like The Simpsons had maybe like six good seasons and oh debatable eight to ten is what i hear because i think season simpsons got good really good in like season four four to Mm -hmm. eight maybe nine maybe three if you're really generous so uh, we can go into simpsonsology maybe uh later but i think five seasons is very good i think they're going out on top i do feel for the actors because acting is hard tv i know tv is is a very nice gig if you can get it it's a regular paycheck um unlike say movies I hope mm-hmm. I hope they go on to do good things. I, I know uh, Paul Lee. I think that's his name, right? Paul Hyun Sung Lee. Paul Sung Lee, yeah. He's in. Wasn't he in The Mandalorian and and things like that? Yeah, um, yeah. People are hoping for a spinoff where he gets to be a, a more full time yeah. character in some show. Oh, speaking of which one is he? Yeah, remember the Asian pilot in Return of the Jedi? I think he was a B wing pilot who crashes and dies. Oh, he just like yeah. Dies. I always remember as a kid, be like, "Hey, that guy looks Asian," but but his one scene is is dead. Him. Instantly I think dead. One, one scene is him checking in, uh, and then the other scene is him crashing and dying. <laughs> um, Are you saying you want him to get a spinoff now? <laughs> I get like a Boba Fett treatment. Uh, uh, you know, I, I you know how I feel about those Star Wars spinoffs, but hey, if there has to be one, why not? Why not Appa? You know, who who else deserves it more? Yeah, he he's, he was a big. Um, I mean, like in terms of deserving it, like he's a huge. Star Wars fan and cosplayer, right? Like, there oh, was really? A, I didn't know that. You, you didn't. You, you probably didn't see all this news because it's very Canadian. But like, they were definitely milking the whole. Like, Appa was on the Mandalorian um, train when that happened. Like, both the first time he had his cameo and the second time as mm-hmm. well. And you know, all the fans of this cult, cult classic, Kim's Convenience, um, not classic, but like this cult hit, um, were definitely you know rooting for a like a spinoff for his character, uh, Carson Carson Lee. I thought it's Carson something I forgot what it was exactly in the in the show um so like I, I think his career is going to be be great I mean after the show I think like obviously Simu Liu is going to be doing you know his big thing the rest of the the uh, actors and stuff in Kim's Convenience like I don't see as many opportunities for them just yet hopefully they'll get some good stuff after this um right because it's, it's a bit of a shame to have this like nice ensemble cast do a good show and then like kind of have it end and have them like not necessarily moving on to other things. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, sad the show's ending. Uh, it was good while it lasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip, you, but uh, your bigger question was, do we need something kind of that pushes the boundaries more, right? Yeah. 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 Or is it okay to have like kind of non-controversial media that's, all, that's, that's still, you know, decent and watchable and yeah, so on? I think it, it, we need both. Only problem is we only kind of get one. And I think this brings us to another thing that I want to talk about, which Philip, you shared a few days ago, which I thought was very nice because i don't know if it would have been brought to my attention otherwise is this asian american film bingo thing on twitter <laughs> so yeah. um i'll i'll read i'll read some of the squares if it gets too long then i'll stop but it, it's it's like one of those bingo cards and has all the you know trademark elements of, of a modern day asian american film such as a actor portrays someone younger argument about individualism versus collectivism aquafina childhood flashback scene White critic writes review full of microaggressions. <laughs> Asian influencer writes a way too long post about how much they loved it. Shirt off Asian mm-hmm. dude. One of the main characters' parents is missing, da- died. You cry. Holiday or celebration occurs. Uh, tai Ma is the father. Quirky family member, best friend. <laughs> Argument that results in crying. Asians on Twitter. This movie doesn't really represent me. Seen at a market. 
All your Asian friends ask if you've seen it. Actor plays different ethnicity. <laughs> Scene about food. Family member addressed yeah. by traditional term. A24. You cry more. Parents talk about sacrifice. Your actual parents have not heard of the movie. And character lived in New York or California. All very on, on point. Very, all very on point. All and there's nothing negative about this, about any of these elements, right? Uh, by itself. I don't see anything that's even something that could be a bit annoying, like argument about individualism versus collectivism. That's a theme yeah. of a lot of great movies, Asian or otherwise. It, it is mm-hmm. a big philosophical mm-hmm. question. But mm-hmm. as we've said in episodes before, our issue is just like, why is Asian American culture just stuck in this type of mode? Um. Okay, last night I watched Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, the Park Chan-wook movie. Have you guys ever seen that? Mr. Revenge. This is the like in the original Revenge yeah. trilogy. Or so this is the else? first movie of the Revenge trilogy, I think. I haven't seen okay, that one. I just no. saw it, and it's 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 this extremely violent uh, movie, uh, full of very murky morals. And again, it's just like Asian Americans could never make this. It's, and I find that as time goes on, I have so much more respect for Better Luck Tomorrow because it's the only. It's like the one and only time it approached that, and it was like almost. It's an like ancient history, basically. That's a great point. If you were to actually look at Better Luck Tomorrow and then you looked at Asian American film bingo here, does it hit any of these spaces at all? What about all the Fast and the Furious movies? Are those Asian American movies though? I mean, there's like tons of them in them and they're directed by Justin Lin. Right, but they're, yeah. I think they would just be more like... It's a subculture it, it, movie and it's definitely a subculture where a ton of Asian Americans participate. Yeah, I, I think it's more of a... And like Southeast Asians a lot. Yeah, I think too. it's like an Asian-influenced action movie that's about a lot of other things uh, but mm-hmm. I, I think it would be a bit much for us to kind of claim it's it's about us by for us by well they're us. not asian american movies but i'm just saying like they're they are like Pretty prominently featured throughout mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh but uh yeah so yeah uh anyway the, this so i'm watching this movie uh sympathy for mr vengeance and as i, as I was saying like they, they would never let asian americans make a movie about this where asian americans murder people asian americans are f- okay so I'm like scrolling through Twitter. So I'm not Twitter, Instagram sometimes these days. And from kind of like Asian Americans I follow, they will post something like um, all about the violence. And and there's one thing I saw, I think this was being hosted by the Japanese Americans, the JACL, I, I forgot what they stand for. Um, but it was, it was this picture of like this young woman and a grandpa, you know, both Asian, hugging, being very sad. And it said, love our communities, hashtag stop asian hate and it'd be like no this is not a question of love you don't have to love someone to not kill them just be like don't fuck with us that should be the hashtag don't fuck with asians that should be the hashtag but of course you could never say that as asian americans and often as other minorities it always has to be about love us you know uh, why don't you like us we, I, we're so nice to you why aren't you nice to us it's such a loser mindset and mm-hmm. i was yes. listening to this podcast on the dave chang podcast with eddie huang because he was because his his movie Boogie recently came out, and mm-hmm. you know I I like I like Eddie Huang I like what he's done for us. So uh, do I. I uh, like him. But listening to him talk, he just he just sounds like kind of really out of date. Because he was talking about how this story is about basketball and everything, but it's like he said one line that stuck out to me. He said was, "This is ultimately a movie about love because when Asian immigrants come to America, they're seeking a lot of things, including love." 
How much of it, though, because he's promoting his movie, is it like the publicist is the one that wrote that for him to say? Like he's he's you know he's on a promo tour True, right now. But you know, Eddie Wong has never been one to stick to the script too much, which has gotten him in trouble a lot of times. Which is you know one of the reasons yeah. I like him. But he's never been the star of a movie before. True, yeah. But he has been star of his show, so maybe the stakes are different this time. But it just sounded weird, like in 2021, him saying that. That seemed more like yeah, something more like in 2015. And I'm just like, like the one thing I really want to see from Eddie Huang is like his fresh off the boat book portrayed as it was written, which is a pretty kind of violent, dark book. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to see the ABC Baudelaireized version of Fresh Off the Boat. I I, I want to watch Boogie eventually, but I I don't want to see another movie about how Asian immigrants are looking for love in this new land. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> so so what I'm hearing is that you're saying both in the media and in the like, you know, meat space culture, we've kind of like been indoctrinated into this very kind of like, you know, lovey-dovey attitude towards like life and how we're portrayed. And Only you're, because it's safe. It, because it's safe. But, but what you're also saying is you're asking for a more kind of muscular, maybe more like raw look both in media like in the in the case of like what fresh out the book the, the book could have been right uh mm-hmm. or what better luck tomorrow was um but also in in reality right like when i think about like the response to all this asian violence stuff and i think about like you know the the thing that you just described with like the hugging grandparents and like you know all that stuff i also think the contrast is like the awa the asians with attitudes instagram where they're a lot more aggressive about just like calling out this bullshit and like showing videos of guys like patrolling the streets to protect, you know, Asian seniors mm-hmm. and stuff. And that's a mm-hmm. more muscular approach to how we like handle like our issues than to just make it seem like we can just have like some, you know, tweet a bunch of Valentines and things will get better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that is very much outlawed. And it's not among just Asians. I mean, we see this with other minorities, we, you know, with black people, the way the, the, if you look at a lot of like when Black Lives Matter, the, the you know, the summer 2020 protest started like for the first few mm-hmm. days, it was actually on the verge of becoming something different. It was like an anti-racist class. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like I was out there on, on like the first weekend. I saw like cars getting burned. I saw police just like, you know, like people like the police like running through lines of people just like you know batoning and pepper spraying people and all that then um then i went out again a few days later and then it became more like a like a voting drive it became like a like a like a food festival block party exactly it was people kind of wanting an excuse to get all over the suburbs too where it's like you know like the live laugh the live laugh love (laughs) pinterest crowd right the the influencers are getting out there taking photos amongst the tear gas in their like flowy robes and shit like that yeah yeah uh (laughs) it got co-opted in like the matter a matter of like days right and the the quirky rye signs started coming out um you know few fewer gas masks more uh clever signs and then so that that's what happens like black americans so obviously it's gonna happen to asian americans too like asian american anger is very much feared so i'm just saying like we're all just a generation removed from the motherland yet our culture has is so different and i think this is a nice segue into the minari grandma who recently Mm -hmm. uh had an interview okay so we'll, we'll play the clip so in my korean chauvinism I didn't realize that playing an audio-only clip of a woman speaking Korean would be incomprehensible to most of our listeners. So 
I will just read what Yoon Yeo-jung, aka Minari Grandma, said. I don't fully understand. My first son hasn't watched the movie yet. He's Korean-American. He couldn't tell me, but he told my friend he's not watching it because he's not ready after crying his eyes out watching the trailer. So, they must have some kind of Han. You saw it that day of the Korean-American Day presser. Sandra Oh and Steven Yoon cried so much, I didn't know what to do. So it's different, the experience of the second generation. We came with a purpose, to live a better life. In the 1970s and 80s, South Korea was under the dictatorship under Park Jong-hee. Some decided to come here, but they were born in the States without their own will. Second generation Asian Americans think they are Americans, but in the eyes of Americans, they don't look American. There must be a dilemma like that. We, as in the first generation, expected to be treated poorly, so there was no sorrow. All right, so yeah, you just you just heard the clip, and I thought it was very interesting what she said because uh, in our in the podcast we did a couple a couple of episodes ago about Minari, we talked about that interview that she references, in which which is moderated by Sandra Oh, and she and and Stephen Yoon and, and maybe some other Korean Americans in the panel were like crying so much, and then in this clip you just saw, she was just like they were crying so much, I, I really didn't know what to do, and. <laughs> and she talks about how uh, her son's friend or her son or something who's, no, I, I, who's second gen. Yeah, uh, her her son, and like, her son himself says he's finding it hard to watch the movie because he's afraid he's going to cry too much. But didn't he say like her, her his friend like cried during the trailer, like not even the movie, but like cried while watching the fucking trailer? Yeah, yeah, it, it was a trailer. Um, yeah. Oh, she said no. It was her son who can't watch the movie, but his her son told her friend why he couldn't watch the movie i see so i I, and i think this is something you talk about a lot liza about how the mentality of asian americans should be more or like our parents mentality was was that they were guests and they were expecting to be treated differently because they were different and they accepted that versus a second generation where as as um uh yun yajung says we thought we were Americans through and through, and then quickly we realized we weren't. And ever since, we've been heartbroken because of that. Yeah, and I honestly think that like there's something wrong with you know like, there's something wrong with thinking that you do belong or, uh, but like recognize that the country just isn't there yet. You know, it just isn't. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't force it, but like I don't know. There's something about like believing in some weird fantasy that you think that like, you want so bad to exist, like you want to will it into existence. I think that that's where, I think that that's where we went wrong. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think there's a difference between where, where you feel like you are properly respected in the place of your birth. Cause we are all entitled to that because we are not, despite our appearance, actually Asian and we never can be simply because we have not lived there. So that is something we can never get back because we can't travel back in time and relocate ourselves. So uh, we are not our parents either because they also grew up in Asia. They they had that childhood of their own, which we didn't. Yet I think we've conflated being respected and even accepted as being kind of like fully assimilated, which is why so much of our, even our response to this violence is, you know, why don't you love us as opposed to, uh just like why don't you respect us enough to leave us alone 
it's always why you know why don't you include us in in your in your you know dinner parties and your yeah, relationships? Yeah, we don't have to. Like, I don't I don't need to be loved by exactly. these people. I really and don't. I th- if if the first generation went too far in their complacency as being guests, and I, and I do agree with some critics, like Minjin Lee got kind of peeved at this tweet. I think she deleted uh, her retweet of this, but. She was, you know, she, I, she was being very respectful to everyone involved, but she was also saying um, the Minari grandma was kind of being uh, insensitive because this was not, oh, this was not on. her she's experience. Not, she's just, she's just like showing, just sharing her observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought she was incredibly, she's not being disrespectful. Yeah, un- incredibly observant. Yeah. Right? Also, I, um, I think um, if you actually watch the interview and and her like intonation and stuff, she's not scolding second generation she's mm-hmm. just making an observation she's like there's actually really no judgment in it she's just making a simple factual observation that what, what what's maybe more interesting is the fact that like that clip has been circulated I, this is the first time i've seen the ap version of it mm-hmm. but like it's been circulated by the by the western media quite a bit around this movie almost as a way to like rub it into the faces of second gens you know <laughs> what i'm saying right like why did they choose that clip that observation of all observations mm-hmm. it's a good one but like I'm sure that she said a lot of other fruitful stuff in that interview, right? Yeah. So it's interesting they picked that out to like show and because they, maybe they thought it would have some viral spread amongst uh, second gens, right? Which it did. No, I'm sure so. they can all sense the second generation angst. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Um. So. Yeah. So, it's, our 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 peers are very obvious about it. <laughs> so the first mm-hmm. generation, if they uh air too much on the side of being complacent as outsiders, I think the second generation air too much on desperately wanting to be insiders uh, without a real sense of self. Like our entire sense of self as a community seems to be predicated on others. Validation from outsiders. We don't have our own internal sense of identity, which is the exact thing you need to really not give a damn what others think. It's always about how do other people see us and how does it make us feel? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, you you can feel kind of bad if you're not accepted, that that's natural, that's human tendency. But if you have your independent... Uh, sense of identity you can just be like well those people are fucking missing out because i'm awesome and i know it because of all these reasons and life experience but if you don't have that it's always mm-hmm. like oh my god what's wrong with me uh, what do i need to change like why don't you like me what well, don't you like my clothes don't you like my looks or whatever i think that's the mindset that second generations are stuck in right now and i think it, it's reflected in our art and our culture which is i think now at a, at a point where it needs to break out of it uh, it's like okay at a certain point, you're going to have this just because it's it's natural, because it, it does reflect our mindset. But at a certain point, you got to stop and you got to move on to the to the next phase of, I don't know, self-actualization as a community. Yeah, you got you to get rehabilitated, right? right? That's actually a common thing on, on our in our conversations here on Unverified that I think about a lot, which is that like the three of us have either always had good, you know, racial self-esteem, whatever you want to call it. Right or became rehabil in my case became rehabilitated in the last like four years or so, right and can now speak about these things from this angle. But I think a lot of people, especially the people we criticize on this pod, have not gone through that, and so they behave in strange ways that like kind of you know irk us when we talk about it. But but I would love to get into separate pod right maybe there's some good movies around this uh, or or books or whatever around this issue of like what does it take to become rehabilitated to get over the trauma or whatever of being whatever two white adjacent in your high school years right mm-hmm. um and and like even the question of like are we seeing more of it now right because we're seeing like you know with we talk about gen z being getting better a little bit better in some ways in this regard i think that's a topic we should touch on in the future again yeah definitely 
Okay. Uh, okay. To round things out, uh, I see something about Andrew Cuomo and cancel culture and uh, royal family bullshit. Uh, what should we start with, guys? Uh, let me let me say this thing about the Andrew Cuomo thing, right? So the latest news that cropped up, I think, on Friday was that he had a, he held a presser, and people thought that he was like they were pretty sure that he was going to resign because of all this action happening amongst uh, New York legislators, like trying to get him to either resign or be impeached. And he came out and basically said, I'm not resigning. I'm standing by like everything. The investigation into my, my stuff can go on. Um, you know, the people voted for me, not the politicians. They can't kick me out. And the, the biggest piece and, and the, the quote that people circulated the most, I thought, was that he said he wasn't going to bow to cancel culture. And I thought that, that was kind of interesting, right? Because it, it, it felt to me like he had basically completely jujitsued the criticisms against him from what was initially like the Ron Kim criticism of him, like hiding these numbers about dead seniors, right? Hiding that the fact that like 15,000 seniors had died in New York state um, and, and the negligence and, you know, that, that him and his administration had, uh, had uh, been part of uh, over to the emphasis on the, I think four sexual harassment allegations now against him, which, you know, are completely valid, but it was interesting how the media had kind of like, looked more at that than at like the dead seniors, right? And he's almost like embracing that because he knows that if he embraces that criticism of him and not the seniors part, he can say, oh, I'm just going to not bow to cancel culture because our culture is fucked up. I'm actually in the, in the right, right? And turn attention completely away from the other bad thing he did, right? So th- that was interesting to me. And I, I think I, that's the case because I, I didn't really see any mention of the seniors Right and the initial allegations against him, it, he really just addressed it entirely from the perspective of sexual harassment and saying it wasn't true or whatever. Yeah. So, cl- I mean, clever move on his part, I think, if that was really his intent. Yeah, David Sorota had a very kind of a black humor tweet where he's he's said t- talked about Andrew Cuomo canceling the lives of fifteen thousand seniors and be like, what about that, Andrew? <laughs> which is which mm-hmm. is a, it's not a totally valid point, but yeah, you're right in that. It's well, maybe because it's like I follow Ron Kim, and you know he, he's a friend of, of Plan A and everything. So I thought he goes hard. Yeah, so I see yeah, him does. tweeting all the time. I see the people like supporting him. So I thought people cared quite a bit about the the nursing home stuff. But it's from what I hear from other people, though, that seems to have been uh, subsumed under the whole sexual harassment thing. If you look at the headlines from like the New York Times and stuff and other kind of, you know, mainstream rags that pick this up, <laughs> it, it is becoming more, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a bit more about um, the sexual harassment than it is like more of a Me Too thing than it is about the, like the, the terrible shit he did around the senior homes. Yeah, which, you know, I, I think just, we, I think we talked about this before, but it shows which priorities are on top in, in these like media circles. Um and then the lives of like old poor people just aren't that valuable. Um, and I think especially with, with like the Sarah Everard case going on in the UK, that horrible yeah. case where, where like the cop like kidnapped and, and killed that woman that he was like creeping on or whatever. There is much more energy for kind of like women's safety and dignity than mm-hmm. old poor COVID victims. Mm-hmm. Um so like I I yeah, but I think the danger of that is, you know, because like on on the scale of things, uh, killing fifteen thousand people is more serious than uh you know creepily asking your aide if she wants to play strip poker 
And he's going to be able to get away with this because more people are going to be sympathetic to him over this can- cancel culture mm-hmm. thing because there's a lot more people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the kind of like guys who've been creepy towards women are, are going to sympathize with them than guys who are responsible for COVID deaths. And yeah, if he can turn this into like a culture war uh, between, you know, men and women or, or more specifically like I don't know, extreme feminists and social justice warriors versus everybody else. That's that's a misplay on on the peop- on the part of people who want him out. I mean, one massive theme on on our in our discussions here is about like the overstep of cancel culture, right? And if it can go too far. This is a precise example of you know, it going too far in the sense that it, it's become such a thing that people have backlashed against that he can now use it to get away from serious allegations. Right, mm-hmm. um, and also he can. He, I mean, not just not just allegations. And it has against, legitimacy too. Yeah, it has legitimacy as well. Like he, because he's like you know riding that wave to some extent. Yeah. Um. Be, well, because they've they've done this to so many people who didn't deserve it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Um. Or or even if it, even people who did deserve it, the fact that like this has been going on for so long means that there's now a built up, you know, built in population of people who would be sympathetic to an Andrew Cuomo. Mm-hmm. Right. And it makes it harder for women, you know, and, you know, all their allegations are things that should be looked at very closely. Right. They're all they're, I, I believe all of them, but it's going to be harder for them now to make their case because of the way it's been presented, like over the last, uh, you know, four years or so. Yeah. If you want a little humor, uh, I found this tweet by Honda Wang. Uh, he it's this a meme of uh, the Virgin Andrew Cuomo versus the Chad Ron Kim. It's kind of funny. <laughs> so Andrew Cuomo uh, has like is uh, hid nursing home COVID deaths to avoid accountability. A cuck for Jeff Bezos is billions. Drinks expensive <laughs> bottled water. Harasses women. Nobody likes him. Versus Ron Kim, uh, who said "fuck you" to Amazon HQ two and gentrification. Stood up mm-hmm. for vulnerable seniors in nursing homes. Drinks New York City tap water <laughs> and doesn't harass <laughs> women. <laughs> tap water. Oh, that's the best oh. one. Oh, speaking of Ron Kim, I, I saw a tweet by him, which I, I think shows what a good guy he is. Uh, he is good friends with Yulene Nu, uh, who mm-hmm. is another assemblywoman. And he said that she was so frequently just creeped on in Albany that he would always offer to eat lunch with her so that mm-hmm. those guys wouldn't bother her. So, you know, stand up guy, wow. this Ron Kim. Yeah. Hopefully- yeah, let's hope he, uh, hope his, uh, his whole, per- you know, I don't want to say crusade, but his whole, you know, uh, his whole shtick doesn't get ended because cancel culture became too powerful. Or there was the backlash cancel power became too powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, last topic. I guess we have to kind of talk about the royal family. The only reason I want to talk about this is I... This is what flooded my news feed for the entire week that I just had to stop <laughs> looking at Twitter for a few yeah, days. Um, like... This is all I saw. Was just Meghan Markle and Harry stuff, and like that same Oprah meme with her two hands oh, up. Christ. Um, but mm. I think the whole like Sarah Everard issue just shows how vacuous this thing was. Because okay, as I said, the the only yeah. reason I I want to really talk about this is for uh, a Plan A pod. I again took the sacrifice of trying to watch the whole interview. She's like <laughs> an hour forty. I I could only make it to halfway, and like I can't take this anymore. But I think I I know I I hit the I I saw the part where she talked about the the skin color of the baby thing, but mm-hmm. I just it, <laughs> Prince Ark he's so white. <laughs> well, yeah, he's he's like, like he's very pale. Meghan Markle is <laughs> clearly like if she did not tell anyone, I would think she was white. That she was just kind of like a 
I wouldn't go that far. I don't think she looks white. Well, if, if I thought she, did. I think she, I think she looks, I think she looks very mixed. I, okay. I think, I think if you look at someone like uh, Amal Clooney, you would think, oh, maybe she's kind of from I don't know Sardinia or like some island in the Mediterranean, <laughs> that kind of thing. But I would not. I would never call her a black woman, especially because if you do that, I bet a lot of black people, especially black women who are darker skinned, will get pissed off and be like, oh, yeah, of course, you would only prefer light skinned dark women. But there are like full black women who are light skinned. True. Uh, but then they always so like get kind of. See, this is where this is where I get really messed up about the whole biracial thing where it's like, you know, you, you force We've gone through like a whole era where if biracial people who are half white, if they ever acknowledge their white side, all of a sudden they're demonized. But if they claim their more ethnic side, Mm -hmm. then it's like the people who are like the full ethnicity or whatever, they're just like, oh, no, that erases us. And it's like, does it? Like, which one is it? They are stuck. You You can't. What do you (laughs) what what do you want them to do? Yeah. Like. So like, for example, like with Asians, like who are half Asian, half white, you know, a lot of times they look very Asian, but if they ever acknowledge their white side, it's like, oh my God, the Asian people, you see them as like a race trader. But then if they say that they identify as Asian, then they're also going to get backlash from somebody who's just like, oh, but like, you're so much lighter. And it's like, there are literally some Asian people who are like whiter than white people. So the color thing doesn't. I don't think it. I don't think it holds up that argument. Yeah, but but to be fair, this comment that that they were talking about in that interview was a comment that was made before Archie was born. Someone in the royal family had said, "If in the situation Archie is a little bit darker, this may not go well for them or whatever." I don't know what the comment was exactly, right? But it was like it was made before he was born, right? So the fact that he's really pale baby right now is kind of irrelevant to that point yeah so so i already watched half of it so I, it's like sunk cost for me so i want to get some some minutes of a pod out of it but okay so okay. this is how ridiculous this interview is it starts off with like a 10 minute debate over whether megan made kate cry or whether kate made megan cry <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is a literal like just like this this belongs on like mori poke <laughs> you know like this Maury, is like Maury. this is and it's so petty. It is incredibly petty. And if people recognize it as petty, I'll be fine with it. We have our reality TV. This is the Brits reality TV. We already watch um, like Temptation Island or whatever. So it's okay. <laughs> we can import British reality TV. No problem at all. But the way people turn this into like a moral crusade, that's what's fucking sickening. Yeah, it's it's like the country that invented capitalism and like <laughs> colonialism, <laughs> and this is what we think is like. Megan Megan Markle is just so oppressed. <laughs> yeah, and it's like this like Sarah Everard thing was happening all along, and we're talking about who made whom cry, which princess made the other princess cry, and it's so serious. They t- they talk about it like so seriously, like this is like like a fundamental like civil rights battle. Uh, or something yeah. like that, and then oh yeah, and then no, it's not, the fucking not, not royal to, family. Yeah, Who cares? not to mention Chris that like the the death, the per capita death rate from COVID in the UK is like worse than the US, yeah. I believe. So like this is kind of a, I mean, maybe in some ways it is, it's a distraction. Maybe that's why people glommed onto it yeah. so much. But, is right? it, but if, if they recognize it as a distraction, like Temptation Island, fine, that's fine. You know, that's fine. But as in they get they right, got, they're making it into like the next huge, most almost political, politicized thing in the in the country, right? Yeah, and this whole like, and 
you know the way they turned this into like like a, a racial progress thing like ooh, we got a a woman of color storming the gates of the palace and tearing down the British monarchy. <laughs> and this is just... Do we want that? <laughs> so basically, if, if, if Meghan Markle and was treated kindly and accepted by the royal family, she would accept all the other stuff that comes along with being a royal. And I'm talking about like the horrible shit, like the family history. Mm-hmm. What they stand for, you know, the 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 like as an institution, the monarchy. Mm-hmm. I'm just like she's willing to accept that, but like, what is she mad at that she can't have that? Yeah. Or or what are the people who are making such a big deal out of this upset that the black woman can't have that? Yeah, I, I think that that is exactly what they're upset about. Well, why do you want it? Like, well, yeah, I think that's the kind of maybe like dirty secret. This is just basically like a YA storyline come to life. You've got the. I was thinking yeah, that too. Like the, I was like, this the, is. Well, I guess she's a, a bit too old to be called a girl, but you got the girl of color storming the, the gates of the popular white crowd, wins the white bay, and by virtue of just being smarter, hotter, more charming, whatever than everybody else, especially the white girls. Uh, she brings forth justice and harmony and and righteousness through her like feminine charms. It's such a YA fantasy. But gasp, the elders aren't buying it. <laughs> and I think conflict. And I think that's why it's captured the exact same portion of the crowd that probably reacts reads way way, <laughs> too, way too much YA anyway. Or <laughs> it's the chiclet crowd and the YA there, crowd. There's a book out there called American Royals, which is a big hit. I don't think it's YA. I think it's a little too old to be YA. But it was a it was a big bestseller a, a couple of years. Is it like new out. adult that new genre? Well, new adult refers to almost like borderline porn that that is <laughs> is like YA, but it's more like college age and it's all about romance and sex. So I don't think it's quite. Yeah, the, it's sex gets more yeah, graphic. Yeah, it's not quite but new it's adult, like, but, but it's like young people though. Yeah, so it's kind of like crazy rich Asians. Like, well, why would you call it crazy rich Asians? Not YA. So the protagonists are a bit too old to be YA. But anyway, so this American royal thing. There is this like American. And I think just global um, desire for a royalty, a social superior whom we will obsess about, who are all rich and, and beautiful and who have like all the great sex that we don't have. Uh, and it's just that. But people are trying to attach this uh, progressive narrative to it, which I'm not buying for one second. To justify it. At best, yeah. it's, it's like a like a social power fantasy, like an inversion of roles. But again there's nothing all of the social justice um are this like woke justification for like horrible things i don't know it, it kind of reminds me of like in history all the times that like i don't know some empire would like the way that empires would use religious uh, religion as a justification for like colonialism and like crusades and whatnot yeah I mean, that kind of, that's, that's what this is. It's like a gigantic culture crusade with wokeness and like social justice as the, uh, as the shield. Like this is the new religion, yeah. right? That has been uh, like a, yeah, it's, it's not like a new realization, but I always, you know, growing up, especially as a non-religious person, you always, I was always puzzled by why are religious just because a lot of like especially like far right religious stuff seems silly it's like why would you be so scared of being cast out uh, for religious reasons because if you're if you're like a liberal or on the left it all it kind of comes off as like a compliment right if you're not religious or you 
you uh, stray away from religious orthodoxy. Like, what are these people like that afraid of? But when you think of it as the equivalent of being morally outcast for, uh, you know, not saying the right pronouns or anything like that, it becomes more relatable. It's like, okay, so this is probably what they feel like. This is why conservative religious people are so scared of breaking doctrines and orthodoxy. So yeah, yeah so I, I I think that's a interesting way of putting yourself in in other people's shoes because uh, it's it's kind of the same social outcome, you know, like feeling not only embarrassed but also like morally impure and inferior to the to the crowd that you're in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's basically what I'm observing. Is like this is. Um... You know, when people say things like stay in your lane and whatever, I don't think that they actually want people to stay in their lane. I think that they want them to actually buy into, like, convert into their ideology. Yeah, it's stay in your lane, but know your place and defer to us. It's not go do your own thing and exist in your own ecosystem. It's like, no, pay attention to us. Uh, Stay in your lane and and sit in the pews and listen to our sermon. (laughs) Yeah, so long as your lane is less socially relevant than our lane, right? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, it's like subordinate your group or ideology to ours. All right, we're, we're a little over an hour, so I think it's a good time to wrap up. Uh, any any last thoughts? No, I'm good. That's, that's enough for always talk for me for like a genera- generation. Yeah, so yeah. Hopefully this will fade away <laughs> very soon. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Liza? I'm like avoiding a lot of social media and like just watching the news right now. So I'm very misinformed and uninformed, um, like on purpose, because uh, I guess more uninformed on purpose, not misinformed, because I'm just I'm really bothered by all the reopening propaganda Mm -hmm. that's everywhere. Oh, you mean like anti-lockdown stuff? Just like pretend like there's no more ticker for for covid so like, we don't even know how many people are dying anymore they stopped doing that is that why oh, yeah, the numbers have been pushing. going down just because people stopped counting yeah <laughs> uh, and like you know there's six people in this household and like uh four of us can't even get a vaccine we're not eligible mm, yeah. um i don't know i just they're just like oh this summer is just gonna be like totally wild and like um, I just keep seeing articles like if I do venture into social media, I'll see articles about like, um, oh, my God, the economy is going to bounce back like it's never been seen before. The Fed didn't even expect all this. Yeah. Remember they said uh, Biden's uh, showering us with riches. Remember? <laughs> so the No, I do like the stimmy. Yeah. Do you guys get the stimmy yet? I haven't checked yet. What are you going to spend your, uh, was it 1400 1600 2000 What is it? I'm going to put it all on red. You can put it all red. What are you getting? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I hate gambling. <laughs> Gamble it away. I'll probably just sit on it for a while. Save it for a rainy day. That's the most responsible thing I've heard in a while. What about you, Philip? <laughs> what are you going to do? I don't get a stimmy because I'm Canadian. Oh, that's true. No, you've been getting... Haven't you been getting a stim every month? You've been month? getting a stimmy for the past year. No, I have, I have I have. to work like a regular person. I don't get... We don't get stim... Well, we get like, you know, EI and stuff, but like it's not a... I, I'm, I'm unemployed on purpose, so I don't, I don't get it. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Let, let's wrap it up. And Eliza has got a hard stop coming up soon. So, all right. Thanks for listening to this episode. And we will be back next week. So, thank you for your ears. Bye, Bye all. Bye. <laughs>